My name is Pete Smith. Most people are scared to die. Uh, you and I might not feel it right this second, but when people are grasping for their final breaths of air, they're usually scared. Uh, failing to survive is an absolute an emergency for us psychologically and, and for our bodies in the moment that, that our bodies are trying to do dramatic things in the process of actually shutting down. And, and that's an experience that no one wants. Uh, on the one hand, we're afraid to experience that, but on the other hand, uh, we're also afraid of what we don't know. Uh, that's the part that you and I might sense right now. Uh, some have even gone as so far as to say that the fear below all fears that you and I experience all throughout our life, the fear below every fear is the fear of death. I remember as a kid being afraid to die. Uh, I used to hope that I would never die. I wanted to escape it if I could. But at some point, I came to realize that that's not realistic, at some point, we're all going to die, no matter how much we'd like to escape death. It's still going to happen, even to the best of us and the strongest of us and the fastest of us. So my fear changed a little bit. Instead of just being afraid of what I didn't know, I began to be afraid uh, and I began to, to experience like a FOMO, like a fear of missing out. Uh, as a young man, I didn't want to die because I feared missing out on some incredible life experiences that I hadn't had yet. For example, I began to worry that I might die before getting married and having sex for the first time. People fear missing out on awesome things and they hope to, to, to do these things before they die. And people also fear death. Is there any comfort that we could offer ourselves and others who may be in the process of looking at these things in their face of, of life, is there anything that we can offer ourselves and others uh, when we're worried about death, the afterlife, and, and missing out on great things? Actually, there's a lot of comfort. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but I personally don't want some fake pie-in-the-sky comfort. I don't want some ambiguous, man-made ideas and hopes, okay? I want something that's based on facts. I want something that is consistent with actual reality to comfort me. I don't want some positive, you know, hopeful, mumbo-jumbo, chicken soup for the soul type of comfort, right? I want to know that whatever comfort I'm going to cling to, any hope that I am being offered is legit. When it comes to being afraid of death and missing out on things, I want the truth about what's going to happen. Nothing else will help me. Now, the good news is you and I were not the first people to struggle with these two fears. Uh, the Christians in a church in Thessalonica also struggled with these fears as well. Um, they feared uh, what they didn't know, and they feared missing out as well. Uh, they weren't just afraid of what was going to happen to them, but they were also afraid of what 
was going to happen to those people who had already died even. They didn't want their friends who had passed away to miss out on something amazing. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, if you've been following along in the reading plan, we've gone through the Gospel of Luke, we've gone through the book of Acts, and uh, the, the, we've now started into Paul's letters with the reading plan, and we read 1 and 2 Thessalonians, if you've been reading with us this week. Uh, and so... Uh, when you go back and you read the Old Testament, uh, in, as we have over the last few years, um, you would discover that these Israelites, that God, they were God's people, and they expected that a great king was going to arrive here on earth, and he was going to rule over Israel, and as a result, he was going to rule over the world. And so the Israelites believed that this future kingdom is going to be the best empire that the world's ever seen. It's going to have the best economy ever. It's going to have the best environment ever. People are going to have great paying jobs. It'll have the best educational system. Uh, it's going to be really great. The, the health care is going to be uh, the best ever. There, every disease is going to be at all-time lows. Death rates are going to be the lowest ever. People are going to live long, healthy, and happy lives. Moral righteousness is going to be going great. Social justice will prevail. Crime is going to be at an all-time low. It's going to be the first time that the world will ever experience real world peace. There's not going to be any more war. There'll be no more trade wars or rumors of wars. No more weapons of mass destruction, right? It's going to be a safe place. It'll be heaven right here on earth. It's going to be fantastic. And I hope to see you there. But according to uh, Acts 17, Paul, uh, when he was on a second missionary journey, he, he brought the good news of Jesus Christ to Europe for the first time. And when he came to this city of Thessalonica, it was his custom to go to Thessalonica, to go to a town. He went there and he would preach in the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue there. And uh, because they all knew their Hebrew Bible and because they were all expecting this Israelite king to come and set up the kingdom of God here on earth. And so all they were doing was waiting for this king to arrive and uh, they were looking forward to this time that God would suppress the enemy of the Jews and what they didn't know there in Thessalonica these Jews in the synagogue there they didn't know that the king that they were looking forward to had already shown up 17 years earlier back in the promised land and his name was Jesus of Nazareth and Paul was the first to tell them about Jesus of Nazareth. According to Paul, King Jesus is going to be the one to make planet Earth great again. But something unexpected happened. Instead of setting up his worldwide empire, King Jesus came first to die for the sins of the world, to give us access to God, just like we were hearing during the Lord's Supper. But that's not all that Jesus did. Jesus even fixed earth's death problem. On the third day after he ride, Jesus defeated death and rose from the dead. He didn't just appear as a ghost, okay? His literal body was a resurrected body. It was the same body he had been walking around with for, uh, you know, 36 or 38 years before. Uh, he had had that body a while, and it was the same body. It was back alive again. Okay, uh, He could eat food. People could touch him. It was a literal body. And then, uh, after he was there for about 40 days, Jesus ascended into heaven. But he didn't go there to be there forever. 
He told his followers that he's going to come back again, and that's when he's going to rule the world in person. Until then, Paul says, we wait for God's Son from heaven. And so the Thessalonians who believed this message from Paul trusted that Jesus was their king, trusted that he had died for their sins, trusted that he rose from the dead, trusted that he ascended. They were too, were waiting now for Jesus, just like you and I wait today. But something really sad happened while they waited for Jesus to return. Somebody in the church died. Paul left Thessalonica, and after he had left, at least one of these Christians, maybe more, we don't know, died. And it grieved these Thessalonians deeply. And since then, many more Christians have died. Many right here in our midst, here at Good News, are grieving the passing of loved ones. The Garland family, the Stebbings family, the Houghtons the Kohlers, the Boyce family, the Sherrod family, the Daly's, Charlie Shea, he's lost some good buddies in recent years. Wendy has lost her husband recently. Cheryl McElhinney lost a brother. I could go on. And yet as we, as a church family, we grieve with you. We, we are not people who are created to say goodbye. Just like many people here are grieving, so the people in the early church there in Thessalonica were grieving the, the loss and the death of their loved ones. But they did, it, they did more than just grieved. They also asked questions, which happens after a loved one dies. Uh, they wanted to know, these people, in these, these Christians in Thessalonica, they wanted to know what was going to happen to after, uh, after they died, what was going to happen to them after they died, and they wanted to know, were the loved ones who died, are they going to miss out when Christ comes back and reigns here on earth? Were those people going to miss out on this great thing that we're all hoping to see happen in our lifetimes? And just like we're scared of what happens after we die, so the Thessalonians were scared of, the, of their loved ones who had died. And just like we have the fear of missing out on great things, they also didn't want to miss out on the climax of history. And so the question is, is there any comfort that we can offer ourselves or offer others when we're worried about death and missing out on great things? And questions like these are really natural. They're really natural when when. when Loved ones die. Now the world would tell you, the world would tell you this, death is nothing. Death is final. There's nothing that happens after death. Or the world might get poetic and say, you know what, death is just a sort of, sort of a release uh, from your body and you just get to uh, join the great spirit of love in the sky. Or maybe others hope this. Uh, when I was in Kansas, I heard this a lot. They really just hoped that when they died, uh, they would get to meet their loved ones again. Okay? Now the problem is the world's answers don't actually give me a whole lot of comfort or hope because there's not a, uh, it's, it's just an ambiguous hopefulness. Like they just kind of hope that this might happen. And there's no real solid evidence that that's will, that will happen. It's just wishful thinking out there. 
And so it's just anybody's guess on who and what will happen after we die. But Paul didn't want us, and he didn't want the Thessalonians to guess. He wanted them to be informed. And he wanted us to be confident about what was going to happen and that it was going to happen the way he said it would happen. So I want to invite you to look with me in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. And uh, this is what Paul's answer is to these Thessalonians who are struggling with the death of their loved ones. What's going to happen after death and if they're going to miss out. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. It says, Now we do not, we do not want you to be uninformed. Brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians through Jesus. For we tell you this by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will, will surely not go ahead of those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will suddenly be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore... Encourage one another with these words. If you've ever been to a funeral and you've, you may have heard these words re read before, uh, these are some of the most encouraging, comforting, hope-filled words in the English language or in any language. If you believe these words, they literally have the power to reduce your pain and sorrow, and heartache when Christians you love die. Uh, these words actually have the ability to alleviate our fears about death and whether or not we're going to miss out on the climax of history when Jesus comes back. There's no better hope in this world than these words right here. You and I have no idea how blessed we are just to be able to read and hear these words in our lifetime. So, what's going on here? Well, Paul's helping the Thessalonians understand a little bit about what happens when people die, okay? And he answers these two questions. What happens uh, when Christians die, after they die, and will Christians miss out on the reign of Christ? And so the first question is, what happens when Christians die? What happens to them? Well, first of all, this whole section is limited to those who are Christians, okay? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this won't be your story unless you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. Only Jesus can give you eternal life, okay? Otherwise, your story is one that is destined for God's wrath when you die. Something different will happen to you. So make sure, if you want this to be your future, you trust in Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can deliver you from God's wrath by believing that he took the judgment for your sin on the cross for you in your place. And as soon as you believe that, you'll be a Christian. So if you're a Christian, this is for you. 
Now, second, Paul uses a curious phrase here when he references Christians who have died. He calls them, literally, those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Okay? During Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, Jesus raised three people from the dead. And before he raised them back to life, he told people that was, he was with that this dead person was asleep. Okay? In Mark 9, um, sorry, 539, he says, uh, the child is not dead, but asleep. In John 11, we read, after Jesus said this, he added, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I'm going to go there to awaken him. He's telling his disciples this. They're at a different location. And then the disciples reply, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now, Jesus had been talking about his death, John writes, but they thought he had been talking about real sleep. And then it says, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He says he was asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. And then he tells them clearly, no, Lazarus has died. Okay, so Paul is using the same word to describe dead Christians that Jesus will raise them from the dead one day. Okay, he's using the word sleep as a euphemism to describe uh, the dead in a grave that is followed by an awakening or a resurrection. That's what we're talking about here, right? And in the other letters of Paul, Paul writes about when Christians die, it'll be a great thing because we're going to be present with the Lord Jesus Christ when we die. Uh, we will have a spiritual existence without a body before the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul writes that when you're in that state, you're actually going to feel naked. You're going to be longing to have your body back. As humans placed on here on planet Earth, this is where we belong with physical bodies. This is where God put humans, okay? Okay. We will long to be reclothed with our bodies and be back here on earth. This is our realm. This is where we belong as people. And when you're in that state, present with the Lord after you die, you will feel like you're naked without your body. Okay, and that's Paul's language in 2 Corinthians 5, if you want to look that up sometime. Uh, but please don't misunderstand me when... We enter into the presence of the Lord, uh, it'll be as also as if we are asleep because our bodies are in the ground. Now, how can we reconcile these two ideas? Well, there's a curious scene in the book of Revelation where all the souls of Christians who have been martyred appear under the altar and they cry out to God saying, How long before you judge the earth and avenge our blood? And John writes this, each of them, this is each of the martyrs, was given a long white robe and they were told to rest for a little longer until the full number had reached both their fellow servants and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been killed. So Jesus tells these, these, these martyrs, their, their spirits are in heaven, they're crying out, Lord, we're dead, when are you going to avenge our souls? When are you going to avenge our lives? And they're told to rest a little longer. Interesting. They're dead sleepers, right? Okay, these brothers and sisters in Christ have unresurrected souls in heaven, but they're told to go back to sleep. Kind of strange, but it's in the Bible, okay? Now, think about this euphemism a little bit more, okay? In my opinion, uh, I imagine death will be a little bit like what we experience when we go to sleep at night. Hopefully, you were able to go to sleep last night. When you woke up this morning and you looked at the clock, 
How long do you feel like it, you actually were asleep? Like, like, oh, I, I didn't realize eight hours passed or six hours or three hours or whatever, how much ever sleep you got, right? Now let's imagine you're asleep and you dream that you're out of your body in the presence of the Lord, but then you wake up back on your own bed, right? For the Christian, that's probably the best analogy that we have when we die or of our loved ones who die in Christ, right? We're going to feel like we've gone to sleep. There's going to be a dreamlike out-of-body experience when we enter the Lord's presence. It'll be the most awesome thing that you'll ever experience as you come into God's presence, even though you'll feel naked, okay? But you'll also go back to a resting state. Your body is in the ground, and then Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. My uh, grandfather used to joke with me a little bit. Uh, Every time we would drive by a cemetery, he would say, shh, be quiet. We don't want to wake them up. And we'd drive by the cemetery in silence, smiling, knowing that we couldn't do anything to wake them up, no matter how loud we were. But Paul says that the greatest shout, the greatest alarm clock ever is going to sound aloud, and when it happens, it'll be so loud, the dead in Christ will be resurrected out of the ground. Christians are going to get their bodies back. They're going to be alive again, and it's going to be great. And in Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes this resurrected body as a spiritual body, right? This is what we've always were meant to be without sin anymore, okay? And this new spiritual body will be more than a physical body, but not less than a physical body. The resurrection of Christians is going to follow the pattern of Jesus' resurrection. And if you're afraid of dying... Or if you're afraid of not knowing what it's going to be like, let me ask you a quick question. Are you afraid to go to sleep at night? No? Then don't worry about what will happen to Christians after they die. It'll, the analogy that Paul gives us is going to be like sleep. Don't be afraid of what Jesus doesn't tell us to be afraid of. Okay? Death is never a good thing. Life is always a great thing. But resurrected life is going to be the best thing ever. Don't hope for some silly escape from this world. Hope for Jesus to come back and wake you up and raise you from the dead. That's the Christian hope. So, now that you're not afraid of dying anymore, let's move on to that second fear, the fear of missing out. Will dead Christians miss out on the kingdom of Christ. At one time, Thessalonica was considered uh, the second Rome in the Roman Empire. Thessalonica had been on a major highway, and officials and dignitaries from Rome would come through Thessalonica regularly, all the time. And in the ancient world, it was customary that uh, the residents of the city would go out and meet with the dignitaries that were coming to their town to visit or go through. And uh, everybody would go out, they would meet this dignitary outside of the city limits, and then they would escort the dignitary into the city. Uh, When dignitaries travel today, you get the same sort of greeting, okay? You may remember 
uh, seeing videos, for example, of when JFK landed at Dallas Love Field. Uh, who was there? The governor of Texas was there to greet him. The, the, the mayor of Dallas was there to greet him on that fateful day. Uh, they got in the car together and drove through Dallas, right? That's the same custom that Paul is talking about here that when he's writing this. Now, in the first century, uh, there's a lot of examples in extra-biblical Greek, and they use these two words to talk about this custom. They talked about it as a parousia, it's a Greek word for the coming of this dignitary. And they also talked about the apontesis, which is the meeting together with that dignitary and then escorting them into the city. Now, these are the same two technical Greek words that Paul uses here to describe the coming of the Lord Jesus to back to earth. He's the dignitary of dignitaries, right? And as the Lord Jesus Christ comes back from heaven, those people who are allied with him are going to go out and we are going to meet together with him and we are going to escort him and come together with him to his destination, earth. Okay? Now, in all the Greek literature where these two terms are found, the foreign dignitary who is coming to the city is met by the city resident and is always escorted into the city. And the foreign dignitary doesn't have this meeting outside outside of the city and that person doesn't go back, okay? They don't turn around, almost come to the city and go back. That's not what happens here, okay? When Jesus comes from heaven and he raises up his followers from the dead, they're going to meet him in the air, And we who are alive and remain are going to meet with him too, and we're going to escort him and be with him when he comes back to earth. Okay, he's going to continue his descent from heaven all the way to earth. Now this is why this meeting is in the air, according to Paul. He's on his way from heaven, and he hasn't yet landed on earth. And as he comes, he makes this meeting happen. Okay, the dead in Christ get raised first, they meet the Lord in the air, and then we who are alive meet together with King Jesus, and we will be caught up with them and the resurrected Christians in the clouds before Jesus lands on the earth. And then Paul writes, we will always be with the Lord. Wherever he is, we will be. And guess what? That's when King Jesus will be here on earth, and we will be with him here. When he rules the world to set up his worldwide kingdom, okay? No Christian in history of the world, dead or alive, is ever going to miss out on the climax of history, of God's great reign through Jesus Christ here on earth, okay? All Christians, dead or alive, will see Jesus make planet earth great again. We're all going to be there. Now, I don't know about you, but that's super encouraging to me. Did you know that pastors, we grieve when we have to bury our friends? Just this past month, two people from my previous church died on the same day. People that were near and dear to my heart. And you know what I got to do? I got to go to these words. Every time I do a funeral for a Christian friend I love and care for, every time I bury a family member who loved Jesus Christ, even though I miss them terribly, I have hope because I know they're going to be raised back from the dead. 
They're not going to stay dead forever, and neither will I if I die. We're not going to miss out on the best experience this world will ever experience when Jesus comes back. We're all going to be right there serving in King Jesus' administration. And the hardest thing in the world is to watch is people who have absolutely no hope, ambiguous ideas about what's to happen, but nothing legitimate, nothing based on reality, and they watch a loved one die, and they sob, and they mourn a terrible grief because they have no assurance about what is actually going to happen to that person. Oftentimes, it's because they have no hope for themselves. But it's also hard to watch people mourn knowing full well their loved ones aren't going to enjoy the resurrection that Christians are going to enjoy when they know that that loved one has not trusted in Jesus Christ. If you're here and you've never ever trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior to raise you back from life, you're setting your family up and you're setting your loved ones up for a funeral they're going to hate and they're going to mourn terribly for. They don't want to go to that funeral. They want you to trust in Jesus Christ. They do not want to bury your body in the ground knowing you did not trust in Jesus. If you don't want your family to grieve for you, knowing there's no hope for you, stop waiting. Trust in the king's death for you. You never know when you're going to die. Now you might be saying, why in the world should I believe all this is really going to happen? This just sounds too fantastic, Pete. All this talk about Jesus is going to come back to earth and how he's going to rule over the great worldwide kingdom, it just sounds fake. The last time he came, we killed him. Why would he even want to come back? Plus, everybody's been waiting for 2,000 years. This just doesn't sound like it's based on reality. And, and I would wholeheartedly agree with you. This sounds too good to be true. But so does the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Okay, The whole basis for why we can have any confidence that any of this is based on reality is found in verse 14. Paul writes this, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God is going to do all these things that he's just told us about raising the, the, the dead Christians and, and, and establishing his kingdom. Now, when you honestly study the evidence, when you look and you study what took place with the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're going to discover that everybody believed that Jesus would stay dead when he died. Everybody was surprised. Nobody expected an empty tomb. Nobody expected nobody at the tomb. And you're also going to discover that more than 500 eyewitnesses saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ on 11 different occasions over a 40-day period with many convincing proofs. They heard Jesus' voice. They saw and touched his physical body. They saw Jesus eating food. But here's another huge piece of evidence for you to consider if you have doubted Jesus' resurrection. Who's writing this letter? Paul. And do you know Paul's story? If you read Acts this past week and a half, you sure do. You heard it three times. He used to kill Christians. He used to persecute the church. And then 
One day, on the road to Damascus, he met the resurrected Jesus alive, and he couldn't deny what he saw and what he experienced. And it changed him, and it changed his whole life. And instead of going and killing Christians, he became a Christian because he saw the living Jesus alive. Today, you and I have in our hands a copy of that man's letter written to that church in Thessalonica who was talking about how Jesus is going to be the one who is going to raise people from the dead and rule the world. And a guy who, who thought it was nonsense, but now no longer thought that. And in his own words, tells it like it was. Because as soon as he met the risen Lord Jesus Christ, he had to believe. He couldn't deny what he experienced. There's no other explanation for why Paul went from being hostile to Christianity to becoming a follower of Jesus who endured the same hostilities that he actually used to deliver to other people. There's no other explanation other than Paul really met the Lord Jesus Christ himself, raised from the dead, alive. Now you and I can have all the, you and I, we, we can have all the confidence in the world that when we die as a Christian, you're going to be resurrected back to life and meet King Jesus in the air and enjoy the best this world's ever seen. Because we have that confidence, we have a hope, a real hope, a legit-based hope. You're going to be raised from the dead just like Jesus is. Don't be uninformed. Don't settle for wishful thinking. Don't settle for something else that will never comfort your loved ones when you die. Trust in King Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and that one day he's going to come and raise you from the dead and make planet Earth great again, and you're going to be there with him. Don't grieve like those who have no hope. Hope for the best for your loved ones who you know are Christians and have died in Christ. Don't be scared to be a dead sleeper in Christ. And don't be scared that dead sleepers are going to miss out. They're not. The beauty of Christianity is that it's the only religion on the planet that gives you something to live for. And it gives you something to die for. And it gives you something to live for again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you so much for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you met Paul, a man who was persecuting and killing your followers, and his life was radically changed. And he wrote this letter. We have evidence that a man was transformed radically because he saw you alive after you had been crucified. Thank you for the comfort that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. A, a comfort and a hope that we can have even today for ourselves. And I pray that if there's anybody, Lord, who is hearing this message or has heard it and listened to it now, that they would put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, you are making this offer so clear that you're going to raise up your followers from the dead and give them eternal life. Lord, that's a really strange concept, but it's so real because it's from you, and that's what happened to you. Help us to have confidence. Help us to not grieve like those who don't have hope. 
Help us, Lord, to make sure we know what's going to happen to us after we die. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.